The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Thursday. A lot to discuss. If you listen to Tuesday's program, one of the people that I was talking about uh, saying, you know, just stop talking, of course, was John Engler. Well, this time it was a bridge too far. His mouth went a little bit too far. The board of trustees, of course, basically alerting him yesterday, suggesting that he needed to either resign or they were going to vote him out as of this morning. And, of course, the Michigan State University Board of Trustees hastily called a meeting in the wake of some of those comments that John Engler made, suggesting that some of the victims of Dr. Nasser were enjoying their time in the spotlight. That is not something that went over very well, as I predicted, uh, and as we've been discussing for months with John Engler. The man stuck his foot in his mouth more times than I care to think about. Not a warm and fuzzy guy. Never was a warm and fuzzy guy. I understand the idea of bringing in grandpa to come run the family business when things are in trouble, and that's why you brought him in. Former governor, he's got some some gravitas, some respect, but at the same time, you didn't read the room very well at all. Yes, he's going to help you navigate through some really murky legal waters. He's going to help you navigate a crisis, but at the same time, he's not going to be the warm and fuzzy, sensitive dude that you needed at that point in time. Not even close. And he was unable to do that. He was unable to be that guy. And every single statement he made made it pretty darn clear that he was looking at all of these victims just as somebody who he needed to appease with some dollars to get them out of the way so that the university could move on. That's a bad look. You can't say some of the stuff that he said. You need to actually have a little bit of empathy and a little understanding and a recognition that the culture of the university that you are serving was fundamentally broken. He was incapable of doing that. And I've heard a lot of people suggest that this is just a continuation of the media's anti-John Engler, uh, you know, ways that go back to the 1990s. I, I covered John Engler back in the 1990s. I've always had great respect for John Engler as a politician, as a governor. I didn't agree with most of his policies. I didn't like a lot of the things that he did, but I didn't necessarily suggest that he was out to hurt anybody or was evil or anything along those lines. That's never what I said about John Engler. I always had great respect for his ability as a politician and his ability to get a coalition together for something that he wanted. He was damn good at that. And he kept his team together. He demanded loyalty from his party, and guess what? They they got in line. There was a time people were actually talking about whether or not he had a He had a career beyond Michigan, a guy who basically, you know, let's be honest, didn't exactly fit the the presidential mold of the time, would not have been the healthiest president of all time, or even wouldn't even self-proclaim that. But given his skill as an administrator and a political operator, there were people that were talking about him beyond Washington for a time suggesting that this group of of big Republican governors was going to be driving the main change that we needed to see in Washington. Smaller government, personal responsibility, those typical Republican themes. John Engler carried that water for a long time, and he did a good job with it, if that's what you liked. If you didn't like it, guess what? You hated the guy. But you had to admit, the guy had political acumen and skill, which is why I'm so shocked that he was unable to navigate this any better than he did. 
He consistently made mistakes. He consistently said the wrong thing. He consistently treated these victims as if they were something that needed to be moved out of the way instead of some people that needed to be listened to and understood in an effort to actually make a better campus. Doing things like putting the kibosh on the Alumni Association's magazine that the cover story was going to take a look at how the university is going to be changed and some of the things that are going to look, you know, that are going to happen at Michigan State University in the wake of this really significant, significant tragedy and scandal. He put the kibosh on that. And I think the phrase he used was, I don't want to see any teal shit because that's the color of the movement, teal. That was the quote that came out a little bit. What does that suggest? Yeah, I understand you're sick of dealing with this kind of problem. You want to be able to move forward, but you don't move forward in a situation like this unless the people who were impacted feel like you actually are hearing them. And the one thing that Michigan State has not been able to do is move beyond this because it doesn't feel to the victims as if anybody at the university really gives a damn. And when the leadership at the top, even if it's an interim president, can't muster can't muster the empathy to say, we care, we heard you, we're making changes, we are sorry that this happened, and we vow to make sure that something like this never happens again. Here's how we're going to do it, and we want your help, and we want your input, and we want to know that you appreciate and understand the steps that we're taking to make sure that the things that happened here never happen again. He couldn't handle that. He was not made for it. And like I said, I think the board of trustees at the time probably thought he was the safe choice, sort of like bringing trusted grandpa in. But, you know, look, there is not the warm, fuzzy sort of aura about John Engler like there was about Ronald Reagan after he left the presidency. You didn't get that warm and fuzzy feeling from that guy ever. He's not that kind of guy. Soapy Williams, yeah, I could see that maybe. George Romney even, I could see that. Bill Milliken, for sure, the kind of guy that you have fond memories of, now that they've been gone, because the memories dull things. Not with John Engler. There are still people talking about the closure of the mental health facilities in the state and how he handled that. That should have been something that people looked at to see how this guy deals with this kind of a crisis, a crisis that deals with emotion and families and anger and uncertainty. That's what should have been looked at. Not his track record of, of, of balancing budgets. Yes, I understand that stuff's important, but that's what the next president's going to be for. So John Engler may have actually done a little bit more harm than people realize here. Now, the good news is for whoever becomes the final president, and of course we have a new president today, Mr. Updava, that's going to be a temporary assignment. He's the interim president, unless he's somebody who's in the mix, and we don't know what's going on with the hiring process. But the university still says they want a permanent replacement for Luana Simon, sometime by about June or so. And they've been undergoing a nationwide search. Now, the only good news is with, with John Engler now out of the way, you have now another layer of separation between the Luana Simon regime, John Engler, now Mr. Upta, and then, of course, you're going to have the new person come in. Because no sane person would take this job without some of the stuff being put in the rearview mirror. And if John Engler did that, at least when it comes to the settlement, fine. That makes a little bit of sense. But the damage that he had done, that he has done, by continuing to make it sound like he doesn't care about these victims, and maybe he does, I don't know, but when you say things like these people are enjoying the spotlight, you don't get it, sir. You still don't get it. And guess what? That was a bridge too far. It was time to go. And yes, the makeup of the Board of Trustees has changed a little bit, and there are five votes to get rid of you. But that's the way the ball bounces. That's the way it works. Elections have consequences. And we knew that there was going to be a very short leash on this guy, 
given what some of the board members had said about him last year before they had the votes to oust him. So your first thing back after the New Year is to talk to the Detroit News editorial board and make a statement like that. You knew it was just a matter of time. And I appreciate the fact that the governor was smart enough to resign rather than have the embarrassment of being voted out the next day. It's already embarrassing enough. But one last thing. If you read his farewell note, he's talking about all these great accomplishments we had at Michigan State. And I do not doubt that they have made some changes at Michigan State in the wake of this. But now is not the time for bragging. Now is the time to sit there and say, you know what? I am sorry. I'm sorry that the university allowed this to happen. And you're apologizing not just for yourself, but for the entire university. Re-emphasize the fact that there are people that were legitimately hurt in this whole thing. Don't make this about what you did in your time here. You can talk about how much you wanted to come in and help your alma mater. I get that. That's fine. It was a time of crisis. I did my part to help. Say that, but always put it back to the victims. And you couldn't do that either. So I guess one good thing that comes out of this for Michigan State University is there's a whole bunch of people that are now going to consider taking this job as president of the university that might not have otherwise. One, because the settlement stuff is pretty close to being done. And two, you can't look any worse than the guy that was just in there when it comes to a standpoint of being tone deaf. So John Engler, best of luck, sir. I'm not sure what you've got next. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's going back to doing some lobbying in Washington. I don't know what's going to happen. Now you don't have to pretend anymore that you actually give a damn about what's going on. I wish you well, but it's time for some new blood. Good luck, Mr. Upta. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. And by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip. Wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. All found at DeadlineDetroit.com. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me. And, uh, you know, yesterday's show, if you listened to it yesterday, I was talking about people who need to stop talking. Politicians and elected officials that need to just stop talking because they're making things worse. I spent a little time a second ago explaining just the consequences of uncareful speech. Shall we call it uncareful speech? John Engler, of course, out as interim president at Michigan State University. Now, this is a case not so much of foot-in-mouth disease, but perhaps foot-in-Facebook disease from a woman named Annabelle Lima Taub. She, of course, is an elected official in South Florida. She's a city commissioner from a city called Hallandale Beach. Now, of course, that means that she's got unbelievable power when it comes to the national scale of things. But sometimes, sometimes even the smallest elected official in the smallest communities can say something stupid enough that they become famous nationally. And she indeed did do this. And here's what she did. She was on her Facebook page and she signed a petition basically to remove Representative Rashida Tlaib from Michigan. Nothing to do with Florida. Not even close to Hallandale Beach, Florida, wherever that is. I'm not even sure. 
So she basically said she proudly signed a petition uh, to basically remove Rashida Tlaib from Congress. Not because of politics per se, but because of her religion, because she is a Muslim. And that in Lima Taub's words, Annabelle Lima Taub, she is somehow a danger to the United States and is anti-Israel. Now, Annabelle Lima Taub is Jewish. She was born in Israel and doesn't like some of the things that Rashida Tlaib has had to say about Israel. And of course, Rashida Tlaib is Palestinian. So guaranteed, the politics on this are a little bit different. But here's where it gets bad. She goes on there, not just signing the petition to remove a politician that does not represent you, which one, seems a little stupid. Now, but here's what she did. She went on there and said, I proudly signed it because I'm worried that she could become a martyr and blow up Capitol Hill. Really? Rashida Tlaib is going to become a martyr and blow up Capitol Hill? What kind of Islamophobic bullshit is that? Here's what she said also on that Facebook post. A Hamas-loving anti-Semite has no place in government. Now quickly, of course, the other people on the city commission condemned it. So you had the uh, couple of the commissioners there were condemning her speech, saying that it gave the city a black eye. The vice mayor simply said it was really inappropriate. And of course, you've now got people asking for apologies and things like that across the board. But she has not commented. All she did was take down the post. So she hasn't commented once at this point what she said. But as somebody who's known Rashida Tlaib for a long time, and somebody who watched her in the state legislature, and somebody who watched her in action in the city of Detroit, and some of the things that she's done in between her time in Congress and her time in the state legislature, and the advocacy work that she has done, I think she firmly believes that this is a country that can be improved. I certainly don't think she wants to tear anything down. And I guarantee you, she doesn't want to blow anything up, unless it's perhaps some of the policies of the Republican Party. I guarantee you she wants to do some of that, especially the immigration policies that are out there right now. And, of course, she's not a fan of some of the government's positions when it comes to Israel. But this level of paranoia, and it wasn't a joke. She didn't say it was a joke. This person firmly believes this, and I'm sorry. This level of paranoia has to stop. I don't care if you're an elected official in a little dink bag town in Florida or if you're an elected official in a city like Detroit. Saying stupid things, posting stupid things is going to get you in trouble. And at some point she's going to have to answer for this because she's calling her an anti-Semite. Well, I guess it takes one to know one because clearly, clearly she's an Islamophobe. So I guess hate goes both ways, Annabelle Lima Taub. Check yourself before you try to check somebody else. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. Uh, something that I wanted to discuss, um, because I think this is potentially big news for not just people in Detroit, but statewide. Now, if you've ever listened to me, you know that I've spent a lot of time uh, in recent months, especially talking about the need for auto insurance reform here in Michigan. How seriously is the legislature going to take it? Is the governor going to get on board with, with whatever the Republican-controlled legislature comes up with? Will there be some compromise on this issue? And may we finally break the logjam 
that has really stopped us from doing anything significant to deal with rates in a long, long time. Well, to give you an idea of how importantly the Senate is taking this, uh, Senate Bill Number 1 for this year, for this latest session, is indeed a bill to amend Michigan's no-fault auto insurance law. Now, the bill itself doesn't have a whole lot of information in there as to what the proposal is going to be. There aren't any specific policy proposals in it right now, but what it is intended to do is get people around a table to negotiate what can be done to fix rates here in the state of Michigan. There was an attempt at the end of last year to do it in lame duck, but it didn't make it anywhere. The Senate wasn't really into the idea at the time. But there is a ton of pressure on people to actually do something and get this done, to come up with something. Because, look, the system here in Michigan is broken. The the lifetime benefits, that's something that we do, and we've done it for a long time. But rates are out of whack right now for a lot of different reasons, and I'm not going to go through all of them today. But when you take a look at some of the things that you're looking at here, uh, why different states are different and, and why the fact that Michigan may be having a problem, there are 200 insurance companies that operate in Ohio, thanks to some research by my friends at Michigan Advance. Michigan only has 60. So just the competition alone is something that can raise rates. But what does that tell you if those companies don't want to come to a place that has 10 million people living in it? Well, it tells you that there's something about the climate here that is anti-competitive. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in Michigan system has to be changed and we have to be just what Ohio is. That's not it. However, Michigan's current law means that we pay rates in Michigan that are 83% higher than the national average. 83%. That's a huge, huge number, and it is also a deterrent to business. To such a touch of standpoint that, you know, even Dan Gilbert is threatening to bring this and, and finance basically a voter referendum issue on this to do something about it. Mike Duggan filed a lawsuit in federal court suggesting that Michigan's policy is a violation. So there's a lot of pressure that's coming on legislators to actually sit down and do something about this. And the fact that it was indeed Senate Bill Number 1 gives you an indication as to how seriously that caucus is going to take this bill. So we've got a bunch of no-fault bills that were introduced just yesterday. A bipartisan duo of Macomb County Senators. So you've got Senate Bills 4, 5, 7, 8, and 9, which were sponsored by Pete Lucido, who's a Republican from Shelby Township, and Senate Bills 10 and 11, who are uh, Paul Wono from Warren, or Paul Wojno, excuse me, I I think I got that right, but he's a Democrat from Warren. Um, Think about that. So you've got a number of bills that the Senate is going to work on. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Detroit delegation is on board. Remember, this is something that uh, a number of candidates in the state Senate and state House were running on. Again, Mike Duggan sued the state over its no-fault law last year. He also put money behind candidates who were going to vote uh, differently on auto insurance reform because the Detroit delegation has been one of the things that has stood in the way of any meaningful reform on this. Now, we haven't necessarily looked at anything yet. We haven't been able to take a, a detailed look at what these bills have done. And I will get to it, I promise. I'll take a look and see what the changes are going to be, and I'll get to it in the next few days. But it does seem that they are going to take this seriously, and we might actually get a push to do this. This is going to need bipartisan cooperation. It can't be done one way or the other. And again, the big wild card here is going to be, what is the governor going to do? What's it, what's, what's it going to do? What's she going to do on this one? Will she sign it? We don't know. So, basically, we have a blank slate bill 
Senate Bill Number 1, that will be the place where all these other bills are housed and all these policies will be housed and we'll likely get some discussion and maybe even a vote at some point later in the year. But it sounds to me like they're actually going to be serious and sit down and do it. And now that the Detroit delegation is on board for meaningful reform, then I think we might be able to make some progress on this one. So a positive sign. Wanted to put that out there, let you know that that's what's going on. Again, we don't have a lot of details. But we can have a situation where rates are 80% higher plus than the rest of the country, where you are basically forcing people to break the law because they can't afford insurance, where their insurance costs more than their car notes. It is not normal. We've accepted it for a long time. And the benefits in Michigan are great. Is there a way to preserve some of those things? It's entirely possible. But there's a lot of little things that are in there that are going to make a big, big difference when it comes to our rates. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We may not be able to solve everything in this bill, and there will be some compromise. But if we don't do something about this, Michigan is going to continue to be less than competitive when it comes to attracting businesses, attracting residents. And those are two things we need to do. So I applaud the Senate for getting serious about this and placing it as Senate Bill Number 1. That just shows where this is on their priority list, and it is number one on their list. I'm anxious to see what kind of bipartisan solution comes out of this. And I have a feeling if this is truly a bipartisan bill where Democrats and Republicans are working together to make the system work better and still be fair and still give people the benefits they need, I have a feeling the governor will sign it. So we shall see. But I am cautiously optimistic once again that something good is going to happen here. It's going to be ugly. The fights are going to be bad. And don't be surprised if you start seeing a bunch of television ads telling you to call your senator or your state rep and tell them what you think. And this bill's awful and it's terrible for all these different reasons. Those ads are going to come. The special interest groups are not going to go down without fight. But they may have met their match this time because inaction, inaction on this is not something that voters are going to tolerate. They can't afford it anymore. And the fact that Macomb County is leading the way on this tells you that those rates are not just a Detroit thing. It's something that's starting to impact everybody. So let's see what we can get done. I've got my fingers crossed for something decent. I'm going to dig through these to see what I can find out about what's in them right now. And I will report back to you on that. But this actually makes me pretty excited. Because this is a problem for all of us. All of us here in Michigan are paying too much. It's time to change it. Thanks for listening to the Craig Folly Show today. I certainly do appreciate it. I'll be back tomorrow with another show. And of course, look for a Friday Follies. That's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Always at the Buell Bar in downtown Detroit. So we're going to have a lot of fun. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate it. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. 